You done made a mistake. I ain't even do I'm nothing. I'm tell you what your mistake was. You swung at the ball and you didn't hit it. That's strike one. You're in the batter's box now. You swung and you missed. See? That's strike one. Don't you strike out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is Real Ripe and Real Rotten. It's a podcast where we're taking a look at the highs and lows of your favorite Hollywood artists. Each month, we're going to be using Rotten Tomatoes to determine the best and worst film in one individual's filmography. Listen along. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know what you think about the highs and lows of Hollywood. My name is Wes Teasdale. I'm here with Clay McCormick. Clay, how are you? I'm good. I'm glad. You know, some of these movies we've been doing have been so heavy. It's nice to finally get one that's like a nice, light uh summer fling you know yes right you don't you don't want to you don't want to marinate in sort of misery and inner fam, uh, familial turmoil or anything like that you just kind of like yeah. to kick back with a couple of people hanging out on the porch uh drinking beer in the summer and then you know shutting the, a movie off after 15 minutes and assuming everything went okay with it sometimes you just want to hear people wax poetic about baseball and just not have to deal with you know any crushing uh internal uh, uh reflection yeah and this is the great movie to do that <laughs> so we're talking about denzel washington is our topic this month and so the highs and lows for denzel are the highs are this uh, fences which we're going to be talking about and the lows uh are heart condition which we'll get to in a couple weeks but fences is a 2016 american period drama film starring produced and directed by denzel Normally, we do a little bit of um, background information. There's not a lot of information on Denzel Washington, Clay. I was actually kind of surprised by it. Really? So we'll do a little bit. Of, like, he, you know, he grew up in New York. He wanted to get out of high school. He went to acting classes at college, and then he just kind of stumbled into theater and the movies. Like, there's really not that much to him. He didn't, uh, didn't have anything else really, you know, any sort of side stories with his life or anything. So I, f- I feel like... In honor of him, instead of uh, saying "uh-huh" anytime I agree with you, I should go "okay." Okay. <laughs> I always think of the uh, for Denzel. There's a famous comedy bit, or it's famous to me at least. Of um, I think the comedian's name is Reggie Reg. He does a like a uh, he's an impressions comic, and so he does like a him going to a restaurant owned by Denzel Washington, and <laughs> it, it's pretty funny. I'll put a link to the YouTube thing, but he he's just. He wants to send his order back, and he says he doesn't come out like nice Denzel. He comes out like training day Denzel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what do you think? Um, he's been nominated for two Academy Awards. Do you know what they are? Best Supporting Actor for which movie? Are you familiar with this? He's been nominated. Uh, this, is, I, this is winning. He won two. So he won. He, he's, he's won for training day. Yep, that's right? his Best Actor nomination. And was he nominated for... I could have sworn he was nominated for Malcolm X. No? Nope. It's uh, uh, 1989. Oh, I have no idea. Matthew Broderick. Philadelphia? No. <laughs> Glory. That's too early. Glory. Glory, yeah. He's in Philadelphia, right? Uh, Denzel is, yeah. He's the, lo- yeah. He's the lawyer, right? He's the uh, Tom oh, I Hanks. Forgot he was in, I forgot he was in Glory. Yep. When you said Matthew Broderick, I immediately thought Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> <laughs> which didn't make my answer make any even any more sense. Well, he's kind of on uh, my mind, too. I just watched Dallas Buyers Club. But yeah, was... I think that might have been what it was. I think I went, oh, AIDS. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> uh, Denzel, yeah, he, he had a major career break. He'd been doing theater and everything. He uh, starred as Dr. Philip Chandler in NBC's St. Elsewhere, which ran from 1982 to 88. Um, 
He appeared in several motion pictures and stage things, so just story, Hard Lessons, and Power. The 1990s, he really started getting into things. Spike Lee films, Mo Better Blues, Mississippi Masala, uh, what do we have, Philadelphia, as we talked about, Pelican Brief, Crimson Tide. He's been in a Devil lot of stuff. Devil in a Blue Dress. Yep. Virtual, I uh, virtuosity. Because I only know Devil in a Blue Dress because uh, a friend of ours um, had a tradition he was doing for a while where every Martin Luther King Day we would watch a Denzel Washington movie. Sure. And that we ended up watching that one day, and it was just like, okay, this is not in the pantheon of Denzel movies that you usually want to talk about. Um, but the last time we did it, we watched The Equalizer, which is pretty good. Would you would you sort of agree that Denzel has a similar career arc as Tom Cruise? Um, is this just the way that Hollywood is going for actors who are that old, basically? Kind of, I don't know. I mean, he hasn't. Denzel hasn't really kept up with it that way like he's he was doing i feel like every now and then he dabbles in the action thing but he never goes all in yeah like uh i, I mean, think it's Fences okay to obviously just came out so yeah i think it's okay to say that the b b reel we're gonna do for this is man on fire which yeah. i'm very excited about um and man on fire is just one of my favorite movies ever and that's like the closest i think he comes to doing a straight out action movie before the equalizer and the equalizer is still it's not action the way Tom Cruise does action and it's not even quite action the way Liam Neeson does action it's it's they're very much Denzel Washington action movies if that makes sense yeah D didn't he have that um was it called preacher or something do you remember that movie? oh uh I think the book of Eli yeah book of Eli yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's that is the closest he's come to action yes that's okay. that's a straight up like sci-fi movie yeah that's a very Tom Cruisey uh action movie yes, in my opinion definitely but yeah, I think he's he hasn't taken quite the same trajectory. Well, first of all, he's a better actor than Tom Cruise is. Yes, um, he does and, theater work constantly too. At this right. point, so and he's yeah. he's kind of he's kind of the exact opposite of Tom Cruise, honestly, because where Tom Cruise is sort of like a empty vessel with which to project any character you need him to play onto it, um, and creates the character through arguably more artifice than uh, than sincerity. I would argue that Denzel Washington's the exact opposite, and the reason, one of the reasons he's so successful is that pretty much every character he's in, you immediately empathize with him and connect to him. Yeah. Which is why Training Day works so well, because he's, it's like one of the only times he played a bad guy. And, uh, you know, you connect to his character because he's Denzel Washington, because he has that innate warmth to him no matter what he does yeah and yeah. so when he turns out to be the scumbag then it's you know that much more effective king kong ain't got nothing on him um yeah we won't be doing training day as the b-roll i don't think uh but th that's kind of yeah, th i would do a something on training day i think Tra i think of, i equate training day with crash in a lot of ways and not not in a direct comparison just sort of like a, a like a really a training day to me is like a really movie that, that kind of like you won for that i haven't seen it in a long time i remembered really liking it but whereas yeah, i yeah, did yeah. not like crash at all <laughs> we'll have to do one for and crash I, well as far as the winning for that i am i fully believe that there are makeup uh oscars that people get all the time like i i think i think him winning for training day was a makeup for probably malcolm x or something else he didn't win for sure um or you know philadelphia one of those movies that he was nominated for and he didn't win for uh, because I felt the same way when, when Russell Crowe won for Gladiator. I was like, what? Of all the movies? Yes. I mean, there's got to be at least one that he's done that he probably, well, like L.A. Confidential. I think he did, 
he was probably up for that and didn't win that. And then, like, the next year or the next two years, or the next time he was nominated was Gladiator, and they gave it to him for that or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> Excuse me. I, that's that's really, I mean, Denzel's had a, he, he does stage acting. He does, he acts a lot, and he's in a lot of movies. Um, taking a Pelham 123, or 123, however you want to say it. Um, training Day. Yeah. Uh, John Q. Out of Time, Man on Fire, Manchurian Candidate. Uh, the inside man. Uh, the, yeah, he was. You know, in... it's funny. As you're saying these, I kept forgetting that he was in all these movies, and yeah. a lot of these actually skew more actiony than I thought. I I was forget- I'm kind of. I wasn't just forgetting he's in them. I was kind of forgetting about these movies in general. Yeah. Um, I just watched another one that I would have. Uh, it's not quite as good as Man on Fire, but I definitely would have loved to talk about it. Is uh, oh fuck, I just forgot the name of it. Out of time, I think it's called. Out of time. That's a Denzel movie. Yeah, it's uh Oh, it is out from, of time, it's, yeah. Uh it's another it's Tony Scott um Eva Mendes. Yes. Eva Mendes uh direct, yeah, directed by or directed by Carl Franklin. Okay, different movie then. The one I'm thinking of is a Tony Scott movie. I can't remember what it's called. Uh but it involves him going uh he's like a CSI guy who's yep. investigating a terrorist bombing and he uh <clears throat> meets up with Val Kilmer and Val Kilmer's like, "Hey, what would I tell you if you could, I don't know, go back in time? This is deja and vu. Deja, deja vu. vu. That's what it yeah. is. Yes, yes. Um, and has one of the most ridiculous car chases I've ever seen in it where he's got this, <laughs> he's got this helmet that lets him see into the past, right? And the way that the, the, the past thing works is like they can only see like a very specific set of time, right? So past yep. the, the time in the past is moving forward at the same clip as the present time is. So, you know, once... You can't go back past a certain point. And he's trying to chase down this the the guy they think is the terrorist. Uh but he needs to see where he's going three days in the past. So he has to be on the move. So they have this experimental piece of technology, which is this headset that lets him see three days into the past, but only if he's within like however many yards of the thing he's tracking. Sure. So it's a car chase that happens. At two different points in time simultaneously. <laughs> so he's got this thing on, and on one eye, he's looking at three days in the past, driving on the same roads, uh, trying to track down this guy while he's avoiding traffic in the present. And it's completely ridiculous, and it's it's a great movie. I highly recommend it. Yeah, he's he's done he's done a done a lot. There's a lot of a lot of stuff. He did five movies with Tony Scott, which is interesting. Yeah, which is kind of surprising. And most of them are pretty good. Like uh, that one with what Captain Kirk there, Chris Pine. That was pretty good. Oh, is that, which uh, is that um, Unstoppable? The one about the, the, yeah, the train, the yeah. size of the Chrysler building? Yeah, Unstoppable, Crimson Tide, Man on Fire, Deja Vu, and Taking a Pelham. Oh, Crimson Tide. Ooh, that's a good one to do. Damn it. <laughs> I really want to do, really do Man on Fire, but Crimson Tide would be a really, really good one to do. So I guess that's pretty much it for him. He's not, he doesn't, he's... See you guys uh, next week. Yeah, that's, that's for Denzel. Uh, he doesn't have a really very, his Wikipedia is surprisingly short. Uh, so let's just get into Fences, which is a 2016 period drama film directed by Denzel Washington, written by August Wilson, who died uh, in 2005, but he completed the screenplay that was going to be used before he died. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, it was in long was... production because he did not want, or uh, August Wilson refused to have a non-black director, and they just could not pull that together until he died, and it took a long time to get that going. I was um, actually surprised when I saw Denzel directed it because I didn't realize that at all and it's i think it's pretty well pretty well directed i knew nothing about this movie uh, yeah. and the, i guess the way that i would kick it off is just to say that um 
I knew nothing about it other than it was a period piece because Denzel has sort of a jaunty cap on in the uh, the poster, <laughs> so you know it's like the 50s. And watching it, it's immediately apparent within three minutes that it's based on a play. Um, yes, is... I was I, I was thinking that as, as soon as it started, I was like, all right, this is, this is either based on a play or is not a great screenplay. And it was... And I don't mean that quality-wise. It's just like you can tell immediately that it's just very much play dialogue that doesn't feel natural yep. in a movie. Yeah. And I feel like, personally, I need to know whether or not it's a play when that happens because if I don't, it's going to skew my view of the movie. You ready for breakfast? I can fix you some as soon as I finish hanging up these clothes. Mm, I got the coffee on. That's all right. I'll just have some of that this morning. Ah. <sighs> 651 hit yesterday. That's the second time this month Miss Pearl hit for a dollar. Seem like those in need the least always get lucky. Poor folks can't get nothing. M numbers don't know nobody. I don't know why you fool with them. You and Lions Bow. Oh, it's something to do. You ain't doing nothing but throwing your money away. Troy, you know I don't play foolishly. I just play a nickel here and a nickel there. That's two nickels you done throw it away. Now, I hit sometimes. I makes up for it. Always comes in handy when I do hit. I don't hear you complaining then. I ain't complaining now. I just say it's foolish trying to guess out of 600 ways which way the number gonna come. If I had all the money these niggas... These Negroes throw away on numbers in one week. Just one week, I'd be a rich man. You wishing and calling it foolish. I ain't gonna stop folks from playing the numbers. That's one thing for sure. It's a lot of, um... <laughs> very extended scenes in one location of people talking mm -hmm. to each other. And um, I, I'd agree with that. I, th I think you have to know that it's a play before getting into it, because if you're not paying attention, it, uh, they're different. They're just different tones for yeah, each thing. And, and uh, one of the negative criticism of this movie, well, there's very few negative reactions to it, but one of the things that I saw was that it's not cinematic to be a movie. It's not cinematic enough to be a, a great movie, and it's also loses something by taking the people off of the stage where they're all constrained with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, because it is the movie is about fences. He's building a fence this entire story, and uh, I thought one of the worst parts of it actually. I, I wonder if this line is in the play. Denzel actually explains the point of the fence, sort of. Uh, oh, the keeping stuff out and keeping other stuff in. Yeah, that, that felt... I was. I would have been shocked if that was actually in the play because that line is so on the nose, it felt like a movie thing. Mm. Um, but outside of that, it's... It's a... It's a movie that feels very much like a play, and I enjoyed it on that level. It's got... Uh, Viola Davis won uh, Best Act... Best Supporting Actress for this, and Denzel was nominated for Best Actor. In it, but he did he not. He should have won. Who, who? He's. I think this was the uh, Casey Affleck year. I think. It is Casey Affleck. Yeah, for um, the Manchester by the Manchester sea. by the Sea. Yeah, right. Yeah. Our nearby town of Manchester by Dep the Sea. Depressing the movie. <laughs> He's in a lot of those nowadays. We'll have to do him someday. But yeah, let's um, we can just talk about fences. Would you? Would you think of fences? I thought it was great. Um, I think the play thing. Plaything's kind of tough because I feel like the worst parts of it are the ones where it feels so stereotypically like a play in terms of the dialogue and 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 what they're talking about. Yeah. Um like I thought the baseball stuff felt very it's it, 
there's a lot of stuff in it that feels like a cliche play thing, like the kind of thing they would make fun of on like uh, uh, Oh Hello on Broadway. Um, like the baseball stuff and even the concept of the fence thing, which, you know, I mean, it's kind of the entire movie, but uh, it, there's just some of that stuff feels very theatery. And I think it probably does play better in a theater than it does in a movie, because in a movie it just feels like they're doing theater, like cliche theater dialogue. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, when, when he starts arguing with his son and he goes into this, or, or, well, I think multiple times, he goes into like this elongated metaphor about striking out or stepping up to the plate and, you know, watching for the curves on the outside of the plate. And I was like, okay, this is, yep. this is just too much. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That being said, <clears throat> I think everybody in this movie is fantastic. Well, except for Lyons, his older his older son, I think he feels like a theater actor to me. He seems like he's a little bit much. Yeah. A lot um, I don't know um I know that Denzel and Viola uh William uh, is what Davis, Viola Davis are um mm -hmm. they did this on, on they did this play on Broadway, I think. So yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I don't know how how many of the other actors were actually involved in that production as well, but I, I think that the um the guy who plays Bono or Bono mm -hmm. is a theater actor as well. Mm -hmm. Um he doesn't come across quite that way as Lines does. Um, yeah. But I I'd agree with you. So yeah, sorry, go ahead if you uh, you want to continue talking about yeah, Lines. Yeah, uh yeah, he's he's he feels like a theater actor who it's like his first movie. And that might be, I don't know if that's true, but that's kind of how it comes off. Like he has that theater presence that doesn't super fly that well in movies. Yeah. Um, but man, Denzel and Viola Davis are just unbelievable in this movie. Like there are, I would be, if I was in charge of picking a scene to play during the Oscars, like as they do, I would be hard pressed to pick because there are some, there are some capital M monologues in this movie that are just amazing. Yeah. Yep. The, I, I think that the, the performances are really good and it's the, I think the other big thing to know about it besides the fact that it's a play is it does this other very play. If it, it, it strikes me as very much a theatrical uh, concept where you start the story off thinking everything is maybe not perfect but the characters are sort of wholesome together mm -hmm. and over the course of everything you learn all the backstories about what's going on and you realize that no one is really happy in what's going on yeah. Yeah. so the developments here are very much like peeling back the layers of an onion where you learn all of the relationships and how they interact with each other and even though Denzel seems kind of amiable and friendly at the start he's really kind of a He's really kind of a horrible person as the movie goes on. And every time that you reveal something about him, you reveal something else about the other characters that are living mm -hmm. with him and having to deal with him. And that feels very film, uh, theatrical to me. And yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, it, it does, but it doesn't. I don't think it feels like forced here. I think that stuff plays really well. Yeah. Th that's how I'd. If someone was looking for a description of the movie, that's what I would kind of say. It's it's a period piece where you slowly are revealed all of the inner turmoil of one family over the course of the movie. Um, it, it's not really a period piece. It's not like a, I don't know why Bagger Vance popped into my head. It's not that kind of like a period piece, <laughs> but it's a... Um, of all the period pieces. <laughs> well, it, it, I, I've been thinking of this the more that I um, watch the movies is that like you... 
you go into a lot of movies with like a preconception about what kind of movie it's going to be and when it's yeah. when it really surprises you it's kind of like a fresh thing mm-hmm. um i wouldn't say that fences really surprised me but it was different than what i was expecting it to be because um i think i remember just him standing on the garbage truck in some of the like the uh advertising for it yeah and that's very little to do with it um i i don't remember any advertising at all like i i had a very 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 vague idea of what this was and i i was pretty much wrong yeah yeah and i th- i think the other thing i was really wrong about is that while it is about racism the racism is not really the key driving force of the movie mm-hmm. i i was actually thinking that you could rewrite this so that racism was not a part at all and it really wouldn't change much you you could just have him he never made the majors just because he was too old and his boss thinks that he's underqualified instead of the the racist angle that they're right. playing off of um not to say that it, you can minimize it because it obviously adds into the Denzel character he's grown up this way because of the racism that he's experienced mm-hmm. but it's well, it's not a movie that really harps on it in any way it's more about the family the problems of living with this sort of difficult person that Denzel Washington is playing yeah, I, I would even go so far as to say that it's not really about racism at all. Yeah. I, I think I think that's one of the turns that it throws at you. And obviously racism, you know, there is a, that aspect, obviously. But one of the big turns that it throws at you is when you start to realize that this guy is just making excuses for being a shitty person. Yeah, yeah. And while the things that he's saying might, necess- might be true as far as, uh, you know, as far as the race relations, as far as baseball goes and, and his job, the more he says it, the more you start to realize, as his family and everybody else already knows, that he's just talking bullshit. Yeah. Because he's, you know, he's a, 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 an asshole. I mean, he's it's, it's, it's tough to call him an asshole, though, because it's like he's not an asshole the way... <clears throat> Where you at the end of the movie, you're like thinking how horrible of a human being he is. Yeah. He's just, he feels like a very relatable character. Like he feels like a very real person who has ended up in this spot and is now making excuses for how he got there, whether it's, you know, uh, racism or uh, uh, baseball this or, you know, having to. His brother, to, yeah, take care of his yeah, brother and all that. Having to take care of his brother, having to take care of his kids, all this kind of stuff. Um, and after he's making all those excuses, you get to the point where you realize that he's now, uh, these are all excuses for him not to move any out of that situation. They're just rationalizing him being kind of shitty. They are his um, fences, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they are the things that, that, that he has constructed to make it, to make an excuse to everybody else for why he didn't become the next big thing, you know? Yep, yep. And, I, I think and it's it's very, rec- I mean, it's a very relatable thing. I mean, everybody does that. Yeah, I think you could almost, you could almost view his story as something of a personal success story, judging by how he started in life. Like, he, mm-hmm. he really came from a horrible situation with a horrible yeah. father and growing up dirt poor, and he walked basically to the city. He's basically self-made on a lot of levels. But he, he's unable to... Despite all the success that he's had from those relatively terrible upbringings, he is still very concerned about how he's perceived and the things that he couldn't get, even though he right. got so much out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the 
you could almost view him as a something of a success story. It's very hard towards the end when he's he's basically becoming terrible to everybody. But even at his worst, I still feel that there's a little bit of a glimmer there of like his son is probably the biggest example where it's like you're like why can't you why won't you let your son play football? But I think his his reasons, even though he's somewhat authoritarian and doesn't really take um, feedback well, his his justification for why he doesn't want his son to play football makes sense on some level. Like I feel it's a legitimate feeling for a parent to have, which is he doesn't he doesn't want his son to be whims to the sort of football league and the white owners, right. and they're never going to allow him to be what he wants to be, and he needs to do things that will allow him to be his own person and get a skill set that he'll be able to develop into something and control his own destiny. And it, he, he's aggressive with his son and he's unfair on some level, but it still makes sense to me. Yeah. And I think that's where the com- complexity of the character comes from is because while that stuff does make sense, he's not coming from a completely pure place with it. You know, he's not saying that stuff because he entirely believes that's the case. Yes, he is yeah. saying it because he w- wants to be. He doesn't want his son to be better than he was. You know, there there is definitely a complexity there where it's not. It's not all just self sacrifice and watching out for his son. It's an en- it's an envy. It's he's being envious. Yeah, you know, it's. I think I think you're right that you could look at it, look at it as a success story, and but and the, but the thing about it is, everybody everybody around him is is presenting the fact that he has succeeded, but he himself is not, does not see it that way. Right. He yep. sees it as a continued struggle and to the point where he is feeling, um, um, uh, you know, claustrophobic and, and, and feels like he, he has, he's on a certain level, he's being uh, chained down by all this stuff where everybody else is kind of trying to point out the fact that, you know, he's got a pretty good life. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, he is, you know, he's he's got the, uh, it's clear that he loved the um, Viola Davis character, who I can't remember what her name is. It's Troy and... Uh, Rose. Rose, yeah, Troy and Rose. Um, and the, I, I think that I'll, I'll switch it up by saying I, I watched this late at night uh, one night, and I think I fell asleep for a couple minutes because I... I completely missed. Is there an explanation of the scene before Rose reveals that she knows that he's having an affair with someone? I was, I was, uh, I was looking online and it said something. I think like Bono confronts him about having an affair. Is that a yeah. scene that happens? Yeah, he um, he comes home drunk or something, and uh, he's. Yeah, he comes home and he and Bono are in the back. <laughs> it's funny to say he and Bono because, uh, <laughs> right. um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, he and, and uh, Bono or Bono, however they pronounce it, yeah, are yeah. in the back and they start start building the fence. And then the son comes home and he's like, hey, "Help me build the fence." And then Bono says something alluding to his impropriety, and he sends the son inside. And then they kind of go off, and that's where they make the bet about uh, if he builds the fence, then Bono will buy a fridge. Okay, I, I think I think I felt I think I missed this scene. I, I remember everything you, else, but I, I was shocked by the 
it, it didn't really impact me at all. But it, like when I was the Rose reveal felt like it came out of nowhere in a way. And I think I would have been what? prepped for that scene a little bit by obviously by being told about what, what was going to be happening. Do you consider the Rose reveal where she's crying in the yard? And she has that like very long, great monologue at him where she's breaking down, crying, saying that. Um, Did you not see the scene right before that where he tells her that he's going to be a father? Sorry, say that again. Did you not see the scene that like comes right before that where he tells her that he's going to be a father? No, I don't think I did. I think oh, I missed. Dude, is that is that is that is that a scene worth going back? It's like the best scene in the movie. <laughs> I th- I didn't miss a lot of time here, right? Is this like a five minute stretch where all this happens or yeah, something? Yeah, it's 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 uh, Bono pulls him aside and says basically like uh, you know I know what you're doing. Rose is a good woman. Don't hurt her. And then he kind of gives it back to him where he's like, you know, I'm I'm I just kind of got out of hand. I know I I'm just following my heart. And then they make the deal about the fence and the fridge. And then Bono leaves. And Troy goes inside, and they start having a conversation. Then he's like, "Listen, I got to tell you something. I don't know how to tell you this. I'm going to be somebody's dad." And up to that point, okay, you think you think that he's just having an affair. Yeah. So the the lead up to that, you think, okay, he's going to tell her that he's having an affair, and then he says, "I'm going to be a father," and it just you know hits you out of nowhere because it's just you know they throw you with a curveball. Yeah. And okay. then from that point, she breaks down in the kitchen, and then they end up outside, and then they have that scene. Because so she doesn't she doesn't figure it out naturally he tells her about it okay so and th- this is really there's nothing this is the turn of the movie basically right because everything until this point has been like he's had the conflict <laughs> with his son and everything but this is what really uh to use the the language it puts him on the other side of the fence from the yes. other characters basically is that turn and his his wife sticks with him uh they live together they sleep in the same bed and everything but they're basically separated at this point, right, at least emotionally right. and everything. And then the rest of the movie is him dealing with the fallout from this whole thing. And like uh, the, the relationships continuing to crumble. We never, you never meet the mother of that child though, right? No, no, okay. she never shows up. Okay. And she, the mother of the child dies. And then the, the baby is brought into the family and uh, Rose says that she'll take care of the baby and raise her. Yep. Um, do, do you want to talk plot or did you have any of the did you want to touch on any of these stories before we sort of get to the end? I guess we'll save the very ending for the end of the discussion, but I don't know if you wanted to touch on any of the stories or anything like that. Um not specifically. Um They're all very good, which yeah. is there's no real weak links in any of them, which is uh, a nice sort of touch. Like I liked all of the interactions and all of the uh characters and stuff. Like even you, you said you, well, maybe you didn't. Uh, you didn't think Lyons was particularly a cinematic actor. His that character is really well drawn on yes, a lot yeah. of levels. Like you, a lot of the characters, you, I, I think you're led to believe that you understand what's motivating them, but I don't know if the movie or the play ever comes out and states what they truly think about things. Like Lyons is a good example where. I don't know if he's actually trying to scam his father or do the best that he can. Mm-hmm. in some level like he he's obviously gets up to no good at the end but he never seems to be a bad character but you're never really sure if he's a lazy layabout to maybe denzel washington shouldn't be giving ten dollars to every week mm-hmm. like or or i don't know what you thought about that or what you thought about the characterization of those guys well i think i think it's just i think everybody is drawn very well in that there isn't 
also in a very realistic way, there isn't one perspective to view them on because there's no reason why he can't be all of those things at the same time. Yeah. Um, And when you get to the end and it turns out that he's, you know, he's been in jail for, you know, whatever, it kind of, it's disappointing, but it's also kind of reinforcing the, this, uh, breadth of influence that the father has like there's so much uh denzel talks so much about uh throwing off the shackles of his father and 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 becoming his own person but then realizing how much of his father is in him and that definitely fans out to all of the other kids yeah the kids yeah and um it and it and it creates it definitely creates interesting complex characters because they're they're doing stuff. I, I think. I think much like him, Lyons is legitimately trying to do what's best. But you know, not every uh, you, you fall off the the track sometimes. I, well, I, the thing that I thought was interesting about Lyons is that he doesn't seem to resent Corey, who yeah. se- who seems like it, like if it was a more stereotypical movie, I think that those character that core. Uh, Lions would not like Corey, the younger one who's sort of taken care of in a way that mm-hmm. he's not and is successful <laughs> in a way that he's not. I mean, he might it might just be the fact that he realizes that Corey is not really taken care of. Right. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's taken care of in like the clinical uh He gets more than cl- $10 a, a week yeah, basically. Yeah, he gets taken care of in the clinical definition of how a father takes care of his son. Um, but emotionally, no. Yeah. That's that's true. Th- those two, I don't think those two really have a, a in depth scene with each other until the very end of the movie. Yeah, they really don't. That's actually interesting. Yeah, maybe they're intentionally kept apart. But I, so, do you think that the reason that uh, Troy does not go to see Lions play music is that similar to Corey's thing, where he doesn't want to see the son be better than him? I was I was a little bit hazy on why he wouldn't go to do that because it doesn't seem like he's not supportive of him. But he's also not, it's not a direct correlation of athletics. So I didn't understand why Troy was hesitant to go see him do that. <clears throat> yeah, I think, I think it is. I think it's, you know, uh, the, one, of, one of the other things that, that Troy wrestles with, um, which is how he ends up having uh, uh, a daughter with this other woman, is that there's a part of him that doesn't want to be the responsible father who wants to be able to go out and still be the person he was when he was younger. And I think going to the club to see his son play is going to amplify the fact that he is not that person anymore. Yep. Um, and on top of that, yeah, there probably is some uh, some enviness there that Lyons is in the kind of situation where he can he goes out to clubs and plays music really well and and does something he loves instead of something that he has to do in quotes, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. I mean, he's. The children aren't bound by responsibility in the way that Troy is, and he kind of chafes under it slightly. He, he likes yeah. to he likes to rub it in their faces that he does it for them, um, which is probably not the healthiest thing that parents can do to their kids. But he's, yeah, he's. It, it kind of reminds me of the serious version of. Uh, do you remember the the Eddie Murphy skits from like Raw and Delirious, where he does the impression of his dad when he's drunk? I think so. Yeah, yeah like, I haven't seen them in my a house. You eat my chicken, like that thing. <laughs> yeah. it, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's very much like the serious version of that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, 
<laughs> where he starts imagine. drunkenly misquoting Aretha Franklin songs. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and the the you know the 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 sort of it, it's interesting. It's just there's just a lot of character interactions, and it's it's not a movie that's really built on the plot per se. But the, like even the, his uh, brother, his brain damaged brother, who went to World War II, I think, and came back. Yes, I think, and he had um. He'd been hit by a bombing or something. He had brain surgery, and he's been sort of um, he's been deficient ever since. Um, interesting character. Uh, that's the reason Troy has his house is because yeah. they basically took his disability and bought a house with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his brother chose to move out, which is probably kind of not intentional because he's he's not really he doesn't have all of his facilities, but it's a. Uh, it rubs it in the face of Troy that he can't really take care of him. Like it makes Troy really think about the fact that what he did to his brother by taking that money and his brother doesn't even live there anymore. She lives with Miss Pearl, who right. I don't really understand the relationship of, but it's just kind of one of those things in the background. Yeah, it 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 amplifies the shitty thing that he did because you know, he uses he uses his role as a caregiver to cover his shittiness as a father or his shittiness as a brother. So if you have this, if you have his brother um, living in the house, he can justify to himself the fact that he took this, took this money from him. But once he's out there on his own, he doesn't have that power anymore. So all he's left with is the fact that he took his brother's money in order to buy this house. He doesn't have that like, well, I'm the one taking care of him. Nobody else is going to take care. So when he goes out on his own, and functions, you know, not well, but he functions. Yeah. Um, he loses that 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 level of denial, I guess. Uh, or um, he's exposed for yeah, what he's, he's exposed, done. Yes. Yeah. 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 It, I actually didn't th- like that character that much. I thought he was okay. I liked the idea of the character, but I felt like he was like towards the end they play him a little bit too much as like comedy. Yes. Like, uh, yeah. like, the, like the very last scene when he comes in and does the trumpet thing, or I don't know if it was that scene, but there's some scene that's like super, super tense. And then he comes like bumbling in. And yep. I was like, I don't know if that beat really ages super well. Um, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but like the concept of the character I, I, I liked because it is another aspect of, of, of him that's interesting to, to deal with. But uh, yeah, I don't know. And uh, I mean that the... Having having a character who's sort of um, not mentally completely there also it allows you to do the writerly thing of um, those kind of characters are able to say things that the other characters can't say. So yeah, he he's allowed to just say that Troy is mad at him, and when he, the first time he says it, you have no you have no reason to think that Troy is mad at him. You know, yeah. like there's he he's able to point out a relationship. He doesn't he might not even mean it that way, but he's pointing out the fact that there's a. Uh, the hostility is brewing underneath there, and even though uh, Troy doesn't want to admit it, and the the movie doesn't want to admit things that early to you. Yeah, and I, I think I think what what bristled me a little bit about that character is, uh, it's a very another kind of cliche theatery kind of thing to do, um, to have the mentally deficient character have some sort of like vague otherworldly sort of sensibility about yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's you particularly know, at the end too. Yeah, he's yeah. talking about, you know, Saint Peter and Gabriel and then, you know, at the end he blows the 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 horn to open up the gates of heaven and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. That that stuff uh, 
I don't. I mean this in the the least offensive way possible, but it felt like Simple Jack from Tropic Thunder a little bit. Right. Sure, where it's yeah. like it's <laughs> like I know what you're doing. I don't know if that flies as much now as it did thirty years ago or so. Yeah, yeah. Or even in this the the tone of the movie. I, I just think the we'll we'll talk about the ending. But the ending the ending to me is kind of weak just because it doesn't fit the rest of it on some level. Um It is the the ending is very theatery, yeah, overall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You you can see the curtain come down, and then they all come out with their hands holding, but take a bow and everything. Like yeah. it, I'm not I'm not saying literally, but that's the kind of ending that it has. Um, the rest of it, I mean, direction wise, uh, you you said you like the direction because of Den, uh, Denzel directed it. I I think it's very much a play direction. I didn't have anything yeah. wrong with it. He he certainly holds your attention to, through the fact that ninety percent of the movie is uh, them sitting in that backyard area. Yeah. And I, um, I was I noticed right away that he lets he just lets them go. Like there's yeah. lots of long takes, not like super, super long to the point that he's trying to <clears throat> draw attention to the fact that they're long takes, but like he's letting people act. You know, he's he's not hard cutting away all the time and it, it's I thought it was good. It let everything breathe and, you know, kinda let it let it come out naturally. And I was, you know, the first half hour I had I had my joke planned in where I was gonna introduce this episode and go like, Well, it's it's called Fences, which is uh, two hours and 14 minutes long. One hour and 57 minutes of that is Denzel Washington talking in a monologue. Um, it, it <laughs> Dude, makes, I would watch that movie. It makes thematic sense because he is trying to sort of act a part early on in the movie. So he's very mm. over the top. And I, I think the actors, I, don't, I didn't notice it as it was going on. I think the actors, other supporting actors, do a very good job of subtly demonstrating that they're not quite buying him. They think he's full of yes. shit on some yes. level. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's not overt, but it's very I think their performances sort of carry it a long way. Yeah, and I think I think the play aspect of it um adds to that too. Because when it starts, it does feel so much like a play where you have this one character telling these long-winded stories that are like very overly descriptive, like descriptive in a way that you never hear anybody talk about in real life. Yeah. Um, whether it's like facing Li- down liars tend to do this though. I yeah, would, that exactly. would be my thing. Yeah. Facing down death for three days or like, you know, how he, uh, I guess paid the devil for a set of furniture. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, it's, it's very theatrical kind of monologuing that I think very smartly, uh, the, the writer uses as a way to, allow the other characters to kind of be like, yeah, you're kind of full of shit. Like it's, it's monologuing in a way that is that a liar would monologue, you know, yeah. a, a guy who's overcompensating would monologue like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I think, it, I think it works in that way. But then, but then when you get the scenes later, like you have those ones where they're just overly theatrical scenes about him, you know, bragging about bullshit. But then you get the scenes like after his son asks him if he likes him. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that was so good. That, that, uh, monologue he throws back at him is like an all timer. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Um. And the other one. Uh. Oh, when he's talking about his dad, man. Whew, really, yeah, not, it's like a, not it's a like good a, guy. His dad. His dad does not seem to be a good guy. Oh man. He. They. They should just give Denzel Washington Oscars just every year, just like as he walks into the building. Just you know, like they shouldn't even bother putting him in. I don't know how he loses to anybody because he is so consistently good. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's interesting. It's like a a good performance and good writing too. Because 
you could see the there's a way that like the in that conversation where he's talking about his father he basically just drops this bombshell that he went to jail for 15 years for killing somebody yes yeah and all i could think of is like in a movie like the room it's handled like the well i definitely have breast cancer like it's this sort of like you can't believe why that was written in there but the performance and the writing leading you to that point it totally feels natural in that sense and it seems like it's obvious to the characters because no one reacts badly to it Dad, uh, so it's, how it seems you, like they know how did you get to pittsburgh well i had an out-of-state check that i needed to cash yeah. so i had to i hooked up with this woman who knew how to cash a check and i got a job waiting tables ha 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 long, long story long story short here i am yeah yeah it's it's a good those those monologues are very good uh they're well written uh they're well performed everything like that it's just it's very it's very tight, really. There's nothing nothing really you can complain about. And so it gets around the fact of him dropping these bombs. It doesn't feel like it's just like, oh, Jesus, like misery on misery now we're going to add it. It yeah. feels very cohesive. They feel very natural. Like they are all... The only one that felt like a bombshell was the uh, the fact that the, the girl was pregnant and not that he was just having an affair. Yeah. All of the other ones feel like very natural character reveals like you were saying that uh, that they're not drawn attention to for the fact of like amping up the drama but they do that naturally because you're learning more about this person as you go along yeah yeah uh let's i guess we'll just go to the end here uh so uh, obviously there's people should stop listening to this 25 minutes ago if they thought that there would be spoilers but the <laughs> the way it ends is that he the baby is born uh the his mistress dies in childbirth and he gives, he brings the baby home and asks uh, Rose to take care of the baby. She says she'll take care of him, uh, the baby, but she, the baby has a mother, but he does not have a wife or a woman or something. Yeah. Is her line. And so I, I really like that scene because he comes in with the baby and again, gives like a very theatery kind of speech to her where he's like, you know, this baby's an innocent and all I'm asking is that, you know, you do right by her. Yep. And don't let blah, blah, blah. And she's just like, dude, fuck you. Get yeah. the fuck out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And the, uh, struck me as the most unrealistic. I always, I always hate, uh, scenes like that with newborn babies now because the baby never make, does anything. It's just like, it spends, you know, 20 minutes in the arms of someone and it do- never does anything like that. And I'm yeah. always like, when's that baby going to cry? When's the baby going to have to do something? And then he comes in with like a realistically sized newborn, yeah. but, which, you know, was probably fake. Uh, and then they cut to the actual baby, and it's about three times the size of the yeah, baby yeah. that he brought in. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, yeah, he he got the baby home. Interestingly enough, which is uh, I don't know if he took a taxi or because he, he seems to walk everywhere. I don't think they own a car. Um, I I would like to say that I am glad that he um, in another swerve. I think I could, you could say uh, he doesn't lose his job. And he doesn't like drunkenly crash the truck or something like that. I was yeah, waiting yeah. for something like that to happen, uh, and I'm glad that they didn't because it keeps the scope. Again, it's a scope issue where it keeps the scope of the story on the relationships of the family, um, not bringing in a lot of outside stuff or like needlessly manufactured. Like the only thing that feels kind of manufactured is the 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 mistress thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but even that feels natural to the character. Um, it's the biggest. It's the biggest lie that he's been because he opens yeah. it with just like ever since I met Rose, how much well, he has the 
the thing with Bono, he's talking about like, you know, I, I don't go like chasing after women. He goes, oh, are you kidding me, Troy? Like you do. He's like, well, not since I met Rose. And the, the Bono character actually has a line of, he's like, well, no, that's the, that's the truth. You never have, you haven't actually done that since you met Rose. So it's just his ultimate betrayal of that opening sort of um, where the audience has to assume that these characters are telling the truth at the opening because you don't yeah, know them right. very well. And then the flip yeah. it on them. I would like to also point out that this movie is probably the first Oscar-nominated movie since, like, The Deer Hunter to have so many references of, like, just tearing up that ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they talk about that in The Deer Hunter, but <laughs> I, was just trying to think of, I was just trying to think of the most depressing movie I could think of to put into that slot. <clears throat> yeah, they do. he does a lot of that. It kind of drops off towards the end, I think, but he, uh, he definitely... Un- understandably. Up, <laughs> understandably. It's a, it's a tough... Uh, it's a tough hoe to row or whatever. Um... So it gets to the end, and then he, uh, what what is the what's his last scene in the movie? Uh, he has he gets into the fight with his son. Oh, and, that's right. Uh, yeah, and then he, I was gonna ask you about this because I was I, it was one thing I was wondering about that I couldn't quite parse out. Uh, then the son leaves, and he, you know, doesn't just get into a, a fight. He like assaults his son with a yeah. Uh, he like you know bat. starts choking his son out with the bat, and then you know tells him to get out of here. And so the son leaves, and then he. <clears throat> He's doing that thing where he's mumbling to himself, you know, the the self-rationalization of being an asshole. And um, he looks up at this broken window that's, like, next door that they've cut to a couple times. Yep. And, <clears throat> excuse me, this, this beam of light hits it and brightens it up. And then they go in super close on him and have this weird, like, halo sort of effect uh, distorting the outer edges of the screen. And he he's like he's talking to death or something where he's like you know i'm here when you're ready for me and then they cut to black and then it comes back it's like six years later and he's dead yeah um could you parse out what the broken window is about because clearly it's some sort of symbol but i'm not really sure what it was no the only i mean i think stained glass is supposed to be some kind of like it's supposed to be some sort of religious thing because it does relate to escape or something like mm-hmm. he 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 he. I, I don't remember the con- i remember that they cut to it a bunch i don't remember the why he keeps looking at it or if it has any kind of uh thematic tie-in where the scenes where he's arguing with somebody and then he looks at the window or something mm-hmm. so i'm not i'm not sure i would just assume it's some sort of vague religious reference because the it's not stained glass but it kind of looks like it could be a stained glass window like it's broken to look like that yeah um but I'm not sure. I don't know if you had a better idea about it. No, I have no idea. I mean, it was just, <clears throat> it was a very, again, a very theatery kind of thing. Uh, I don't even, how would you even represent it in theater was something I was wondering. Or if, it, or if it's I, just a movie thing I that think, they've added. I think probably on stage it was, that broken window was just part of like whatever set, set they set built design. for yeah. like the next door house or something like that. Yeah. And you just, you know, probably just hit it with a spotlight or something. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. I thought they were going to end the movie there. Like with that close up on him where he's, you know, yapping about death. Cause it's like, <clears throat> it's at the point where everything has been stripped away and his son is left and his wife is pissed off at him and completely like, he's basically nothing now. He's just, he's just. His friend Bono, Bono is no longer yeah, really Bono's friends gone. with him. Yep. He's just an angry, drunken old man. And I thought that was going to be where it ended. And I thought that was kind of, I thought that would be kind of a cool ending. Yeah. Um, because it le- it's very unresolved, and I don't think this is the kind of story that necessarily needs a resolution to it. Um, 
But they, yeah, then they continue for like another 15 minutes picking up on the day of his funeral, which felt very, the- like that whole, like as you're saying, that whole last sequence felt very theatery to me. And I, I wasn't, I would have preferred if they'd have ended it where it was because I don't know, I don't really understand the reconciliation that goes on at the end. Mm-hmm. Like I, I understand the family members reconciling around each other and Maybe uh, the Rose character thinks that the only reason this has happened is because of Troy, which is true, but it's still, it still, it felt like too, I don't want to say too happy, but it, it felt too clean at the end or something. Like just the fact that Troy dies sort of fixes a lot of stuff, even though people aren't in great shape, like Lyons is in jail or he, he's, he's been in jail for three years. Uh, Corey is now a Marine, I think. Yeah. Um, the girl has grown up, the daughter has grown up and is kind of innocent and isn't really aware of what's going on. But it it just struck me as unnecessary and a little bit too apologetic for Troy. And I don't know if I'm missing something. I don't know if I would call it apologetic. I think it's just, you know, I think it, I think it works thematically in that you are getting to see all of these characters deal with finally with the complicated person that was Troy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I think it's kind of representative, it's kind of represented in, in the scene where, uh, uh, what's the son's name? Corey or Corey. Uh, Lyons, yeah. Corey says he's not going to the funeral, and the mother is like, slaps him, and he's like, no, you have to, you have to, recon- you have to reconcile yourself with the fact that, yeah, he was an asshole, but he was also your father. And, like, it's, it's not an easy thing. Yep. Um, and I think that's kind of what they're going for at the end. There is is that life goes on, but this the the influence of this person for better or worse has affected everybody around him. You know. So do you do you think that Corey goes to the funeral? I think he does. Okay. I think um, he, I would prefer if he doesn't. Mm-hmm. I don't think the movie uh, says either way. I, I think the movie implies that he does go do it, but I I would kind of prefer that. I think it was just too, it was too uniform a reaction across all of the characters. Yeah, maybe that's fair. Like I need one of them to be a holdout, and I feel Corey is the most appropriate one to be that holdout. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I the the reason that I say I think he goes is because I think there's a certain. Uh, after he sits on the <clears throat> on the stoop with his sister and they sing that song about the dog, which I found simultaneously very effective and also very theatery. Like that yeah, felt yep. like it was a very theatery moment. But like there's a certain point where you realize that Corey is is thinking about the the dog in the song is his father, basically. Yeah. And I was yep. like, Oh, oh, that hurts. That was that was <laughs> that was pretty And he starts getting all choked up and you're like, Yeah, I feel you, man. Um there's a, after that, he says, come on, put your shoes on. We got to go to the funeral. So that was the only thing that oh, made sure. me think that he goes. Uh, okay. that's, yeah. That could just be, you know, turn a phrase or whatever. But uh, I, I don't, yeah, I think that's a question that's, that's totally valid. Um, and I, don't, I, don't, I think whatever answer you end up on is not wrong. Yeah, you know? I, I just, I mean, it's, it's totally a, a personal subjective oh, yeah, thing. Yeah, I, definitely. I just, it, it's a very... It felt, it just felt like it was not the tone that the movie had been built, especially because the movie has been cascading towards everything is starting to go wrong for Troy, and you're starting to see really 
bad aspects of his personality. Mm-hmm. I understand that six years have passed, and maybe that's kind of something I should think more about. But it, it yeah, I just I didn't need the the incredibly everyone to be on the same page and the very theater thing of you know Gabriel comes back at the end and blows his trumpet and the the gates of heaven open up and the light shines right. on them. Yeah. That it just struck me as, I don't know, odd. And I, it's just it's tough because I also agree that Troy is kind of a success story on some level. He's just so bitter by the success that he managed to get. It makes him look like he's a, a bad character when he's not. He he's not a purely bad character. Obviously, as we're saying, he's he's nuanced and it's it's tough. Yeah, I think I think there's just a le- a. a, a they felt there's a need for a certain catharsis to everything at the end there. Cause that's really what's going on is, you know, it's, it, it is a reconciliation of, of this character and how he affects people. And it, 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 it the scene before that is such a downer. Like it ends on such a shitty note yep. that I think it you makes need, you sense. Need something. Yeah. It makes sense that, uh, they take an extra step to just sort of like let the breath out and, 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 kind of show where these people are at and that life is going on and that, you know, Corey didn't end up on the street. And, you know, it, there's, yeah, I, I think there's definitely um, an aspect of that to it. Whether or not it's necessary, I don't know. I think I, maybe, I, maybe in a play, it, it, it might be a little more necessary than it is here. Maybe. And I, maybe I wonder just how much of it is more the, um, the religious experience of black families in that time. Mm-hmm. Like it, the movie does not make it really explicit that they're religious. Um, it seems to, it doesn't hide it, but they, they never really bring up religion in any kind of way like that. Mm -hmm. And so it felt like more of a, it felt like almost too religiously themed of an ending for what we had seen previously. And it didn't feel like it made sense to me like that, but the, if in realistic terms, maybe, I'd imagine religion like that played a much more important role in fam- black families of the 50s, all families of the 50s, but particularly black families in the 50s. That would play a, that sense of forgiveness would be a conflict that they'd have to deal with. I just don't know if the play itself stressed it to me and I'm supposed to infer this because of their, that kind of a family or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I could see that though. Um, I think that's pretty much it is there anything else you wanted to uh talk about it's a, it's a good film it's interesting you have to be in the right mindset for it but i think that it's uh it's something well worth watching it's on amazon prime now if people wanted to see it you can stream it for free well the one thing that i wanted to ask you do you feel do you think this is a, a pessimistic story or do you think it's an optimistic story i think it is more pessimistic than optimistic yeah. but it's like 60 40 yeah, it's it's close. Um, I mean, I guess on some level, you could say that no matter how hard you try, you can't really escape your past. Is kind of a thing. Like the the influences of your family can have like a devastating effect on you, uh, which is, you know, which could be a very good thing. In this movie, it seems to be more of a bad thing. Even though people came out of it well at the very end, everyone seems kind of happy. It was. It was sort of a, he was a destructive influence on a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think maybe that final scene is them attempting to say that it, it is more of an optimistic story. Because I think if it ends with Corey walking out and, uh, <clears throat> and Troy, you know, stepping up to the plate against death, literally, um, it ends up being much more of a pessimistic story. Yeah. 
But the fact that he, you know, Corey comes back and everybody kind of has this, it's, it's not optimistic in the way where it's like, uh, you know, he dies and we come back six years later and the, removing him from the situation has made everybody's life fantastic. It's still a very right. realistic look at just the way that families and people are. But I think it's trying to say that even the, basically, I think it's summed up. I think it's summed up by Lyons' speech to Corey at the end, where, where the you have to take the crookeds with the straights thing. Yeah, where it's 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 an optimistic it's an optimistic ending, but it's not an easy optimism. You know, it's not a, it's not a uh, optimism without uh, drawbacks and consequences. Yeah, I think I think the movie is also kind of saying that no matter how much bad stuff happens to you, you can come out of it okay. Like the yeah. all of the sort of negative problems that happen to people, like Corey with the football, is probably the most obvious. When at the time that it happens, it feels like a very devastating thing for him. Right. But when he comes back, he's been happy in the Marines. Like he he's happy where he ended up in life. And, yeah. and I think that all the characters are kind of like that. Same with uh, Rose taking in the daughter. Uh, she didn't want to do it at first. And it was like, it was offensive to her because of what it meant about Troy and the other mistress. And she didn't want the, the burden of doing this. And she didn't think it was fair, but she did end up with a daughter that she loves at the end of it. So everything has a a bright side to it, I guess. And, you know, they've recognized their successes, you know, they, uh, in a way that Troy never did. The uh, Rose has found a, upside in a success in, in the daughter and Corey's found success in uh the army even even Lyons recognizes that he gets to play music and it's yep. the only thing even though he's been in jail for three years he's got a band in jail that yep. it's not like this is not all presented necessarily as like no everything's fine I'm in jail I have a great band um it's it's just that they are they are more in tune with the the successes in their lives uh, in spite of the shit that they had to go through to get there than Troy ever is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Lyons is like, I'm going around with this young up-and-comer named Johnny Cash. We're going to yeah. uh, become in the Folsom. And, I, you know, I think, I think that's part of the, that's the, well, it might be the whole argument or discussion Corey has with his mother, too, is that Corey is writing off his father completely as a complete negative. Yeah, and Rose is there to remind him that it's not a complete negative. It's a very complicated situation, and where you are now, as happy as you are now, you can't say you're there in completely despite your father or in spite of your father. You know, it's it, he he played a part in getting you there. So yeah, you have to you have to recognize your successes, otherwise you're going to end up just like him. way I gotta get by. You gotta get by where? This is my house. Bought and paid for it. Took me 15 years, and if you wanna go in my house and I'm sitting on the steps, you say, excuse me, like your mama taught you. Come on, Papa, I gotta get by. You just gonna walk over top of me? I live here, too. You just gonna walk over top of me in my own house? I ain't scared of you. 
I ain't ask you if you was scared of me. I asked you, was you fitting to walk over top of me in my own house? That was the question. You ain't gonna say excuse me. You just gonna walk over top of me. If you wanna put it like that. How else am I gonna put it? I was walking by you to go into the house because you sitting on the step drunk singing to yourself. You can put it like that. Without saying excuse me. That's a good point. I, I, I do think that's what it is. It's a... It's a nuanced movie. There's a lot uh, going on. Theater theater plays tend to have that going over. So the replicator on the Enterprise. <laughs> no. Can't make a sub. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it was a unique movie for our real ripe show. Anyway, this is the... Some heavy shit. It was. It was, <laughs> and, it was and it was a... Uh, I don't know how many of these we'll hit up against, which is just kind of a... I was actually worried about talking about a, like a straight drama like mm. this. Yeah. Um, because, uh, like, if I feel it's probably weaker dramas, we might have a harder time. This is actually a well-made one, but there might yeah. be dramas where you're like, I, I guess it's saying this and whatever, who cares? But I can't, you don't I want can't it to wait till we have in. to do like Leaving Las Vegas or something where it's right. just like, oh, this was depressing for two and a half hours. <laughs> right. This is a little bit of a positive spin on that. It's not, not to, all that. Not to go too non sequitur here, but I, and I, we are running a little long, but um. I personally don't think I would have watched this movie on my own, so I'm glad we watched it. Yep. And I think it's not it has nothing to do with the quality, but I've reached a point in my life where I don't actively seek out stuff that I know is going to be like depressing or emotionally difficult the way that I once did. Yep. Um do you feel the same way? Like there's some movies that I just I'm probably never going to watch just because I know that they're going to be tough watches. And it's like, I know this movie's probably fantastic. Like Manchester by the Sea. I'm sure it's a great movie. Yeah. I just, I don't want to, I don't want to experience that. <laughs> <laughs> like there, yes. There's, there's, uh, there's other things I would like to do with my media watching time than just be completely emotionally distraught for two hours. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think, and I think sometimes that stops me from watching really good stuff because uh, this I, I I don't think I would have s sought this out. This turned out to be great. The last big one for me was Twelve Years a Slave, which is like I know it's really good. I just I just did not want to see it. Then a friend of ours saw it and said it's not it's not what you think it is. It's it's a really great movie and it's not as uh, quite as destructive as the way that you think it is. Yeah, and I I. I I wish that I could push myself to get into that stuff a little bit more because I think I do judge these movies sometimes based on what I think it's going to be, not on what it actually is. Yes, yeah. And I think that there's just a, there's a lot of those kind of dramas out there. Um, you know, you, if, you're, if you're watching like independent mumblecore movies, it's, you're overwhelmed with those kind of movies. Like yeah. for, for some reason, this is the kind of, not this movie, but that kind of topic is like prime real estate for independent filmmakers. Um, right. Obviously, because you don't need a budget and everyone sort of goes through that and you can relate to it and stuff like that. But well, I, think that I think it's, I, I think it's non-genre, it's non-genre uh, torture porn, basically. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not, it's not really that difficult in the grand scheme of things to get people to, be emotionally distraught in a movie. Yeah. You know, there's a whole book about writing called Save the Cat because it's yeah. based on the, <laughs> the idea that if you kill the cat, you're going to lose your audience because people can't deal with a dog or an animal being killed. Yeah. And it's it's not that difficult to emotionally manipulate people. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, well, my personal balancing out would just be that uh, 
Amy tends to like those movies. So yeah. she if she's watching something, I kind of I will kind of watch it. And but a lot of it has been it's really just my perception because I, I went into watching Dallas Buyers Club thinking, I don't want to watch this. This is going to be horrible. And it was yeah. really, it was a great movie. That's another one. That's another one of like, oh, I'm sure it's great, but it's just I don't know. I just don't know if I can do it. But I've heard it's fantastic. No, it, it's really it's really good. It's it's really just it's not what I expect it to be. Like yeah. I have it in my head that it's going to be something else than what it actually is, and it's not the morbidly exactly. depressing thing that it ends up being. And you know, I I don't want to talk down to people who enjoy that stuff because I I look at it the same way as uh, I'm sure people look at me in the way that I enjoy horror movies. You know, people I I like the idea of being scared and seeing scary stuff. I think it's the same idea. It's just <laughs> emotional. Uh, uh, depression instead of uh, monsters and demons, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like I, my my <laughs> it's mother. All external. The the what my mother is just like she loves depressing movies. Like I I've watched movies with her that were legit bad movies that she loved just because they were they were depressing. Like yep. And that's the most imp- like she took off a day of work one time and actively chose to watch Marley and Me. Yeah. And I was like, what <laughs> are you doing? You know. What's going to happen? She's like, I know, I know, I, I knew what it was going to be. And I, I think that's why I wanted to watch it. I'm like, yes, that is why you wanted to watch it. And so I, I don't begrudge people who like to watch that stuff because it's a good, you know, emotional release or whatever. It's the same as watching any, any genre film or anything like that. No, it's a, my, uh, the BBC, or at least what we get of the BBC is kind of that. My parents are always like, oh, you should watch this great BBC uh, procedural. It's like, okay, like how many kids <laughs> get murdered in it? And they're yeah. like, well, seven. Yeah. It's like, but it's really great. It's like, I, I don't need the only, the thing going for it. Those is that uh, those miniseries are only like four or five or six episodes. So you can easily get through it. And but each of those episodes are like three hours long. <laughs> it's like Sherlock where every episode's a movie. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Good movie. Uh, let's see here. If you guys enjoyed what you're listening to, well, you can check out the social media. There'll be links in the podcast description and the uh, or the podcast little blurb in the video description. Next you week can... we'll be list- we'll be covering something in the same vein when we'll be doing Nutty Professors to the Clumps. Right, <laughs> exactly. We'll get to Eddie Murphy eventually. Um, oh, you can go to Patreon.com/slash The Penske File if you want to support the show. There, that's a good way to do it. Uh, the top tier Captain level patrons, uh, so named because they are the Captain level the Star Trek supporters. Get a shout out. Vincent Adolman, Stephen Cobb, Eric Johnson, Nathan Elliott, Ewan Tibbetts, Decker Sebastiani, Neil Brennan, Carrier Mobility, Doug Valcamp, Michael Pond, Bradley Killens, Rune Vendler, Jay Stanley, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Ben Douglas, Kyle Barrett, Joint Mango, Tarek Latif. Guys, hope you enjoyed this. Um, you should check out this movie if you haven't seen it. I know a couple of you have, uh, but it is one of those ones that kind of slips under the radar occasionally. We should have a new level on the Patreon, which is the, uh, the fences level, where if you pay X amount, you get to yell at us and uh, berate us for how much you, that you support us. <laughs> we, we just have, uh, we'll come up with a bunch of baseball metaphors and we will <laughs> we'll throw them out there onto the field and take it. Yeah. Um, anything else that we want to say about this? We'll be back with, what did I say was the next, what did I say was the Denzel? Oh, Heart uh, Condition, which is at 0%. I have, on, I have on never even heard of that movie. What is that it from? Looks, it looks terrible. It's got a uh, Bob Hoskins and Denzel Washington. I mean, I'm totally there for that. But <laughs> Bob, Bob Hoskins plays a, or Denzel Washington plays a black lawyer. Bob when Hoskins. What's that? What is, what, what, sorry, continue. Bob Hoskins. What? Bob Hoskins plays a racist police officer. Oh boy. Denzel Washington 
dies and uh hoskins gets a heart transplant from him and so denzel shows up as a ghost that teaches him the error of his ways of being oh, a racist cop boy i am there for this <laughs> i am so, when is this from 1990 okay so this is like he's this is after glory so yep. he's a known quantity at this point this is i think this is his cash in movie after glory it's like that kind oh, of a thing boy yikes bad choice <laughs> We couldn't watch like the was it and the, Bob Hoskins would go on to do Super Mario Brothers. I think after this, oh man, Bob Hoskins, I miss Bob Hoskins. There are a few actors that I miss as much as Bob Hoskins. He was he was a unique presence. The closest, you know, who's who's kind of fills his shoes is um, Ray Winstone. Has a very similar kind of. He was the guy. Uh, what's his name? Jack Nicholson's number two in uh, The Departed. Oh sure, yep, yeah. Yep. He's got that. Say he's got that that bob hoskins kind of thing but man i love bob hoskins <laughs> we should do we should do uh, uh, i think that's find an excuse to do like uh the long good sunday or mona lisa or something like that one of those early bob hoskins they're great yeah he's he's uh we'll have to look up what his actual best and worst are it's, once you get down these rabbit holes you start realizing <laughs> i'm things. pretty sure i know what the worst is well, yeah, the worst. <laughs> <laughs> we can kill two birds with one stone if you guys just want to hear bob hoskins best movie um fences that's it we'll be back with heart condition in a couple weeks and until then have a good one